Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hailed. Well, this morning we will be ending our short series on the character or characteristics of God. And I found it interesting as I thought about preparing for the Sunday that we have tried to capture the character and characteristics of God into two and a half hours spread over four or five weeks. Uh, so keep that in mind as we go through uh, this, that this is by no means all-encompassing. But where we're going today is God is holy. We serve a holy God, but what does that word holy mean? Whenever I think about a topic where I tend to go to is what does that word, where does it originate from, what is the foundation behind it? So when I think of the word holy, what comes to mind for me is this image of a host of angels radiating gold and yellow and just singing beautifully. I'm not going to impersonate that by any means. Don't even ask. But when we think about holy, maybe what comes to mind is holy water. Whole bread, well, that's a different, different thing. But holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We sing about it. It's a word we throw around in the church and then we go to campus life and when we go home maybe even we throw around this word holy. So as I was looking into holy, I'm of course in pulling from scripture and we'll get into Exodus chapter three and also into Isaiah. Um, but as I was looking into holy, I was trying to find, you know, what are other areas that I could pull from? Whether it's some sort of resource, an article, a video, some news clipping, something. What can I pull in to work in to look at this idea of holy? And as I was looking, I came across the Bible Project. And so the Bible Project is a group of folks that have got together and they made a not-for-profit organization. And what they do is they make little short animated videos. And uh, the videos can be about some sort of topic, some sort of theme. It could be a word study, so a word such as agape. Woo, the angels. We're in holy presence. But the Bible Project, uh, they make these different videos about word studies. So for example, agape, which is God's love, or shima, which is our soul, or kata, which is our sin. So looking at where do these words originate from and what is their full meaning. They also make videos about every single book of the Bible. And so if you're not really into reading, um, you can check out the videos and kind of get it. Not every single piece of the Bible but you can get an idea of what the general theme is of each book as well as a lot of the major elements. So I encourage you to check those out. Um, when we, Jessica and I were in Plainfield, they were going through uh, the Bible in a year and so we would watch a video and then we would talk about it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna watch one of those videos and it happens to be about holiness. And so we'll check out what they have to say about it and then we'll kind of dissect it from there. So go ahead and roll that video, guys. Heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. 
What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple 
and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream, and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. We believe the Bible... There's a lot there. Um, but what, a couple of things I wanted to pull out of that video was this idea of purity and impurity. You know, in Old Testament times, because of the holiness of God, a person couldn't just enter into God's presence. They couldn't just waltz into the temple and be cool and just talk to God as we can today. They, and that was because they would be so overwhelmed by God's holiness, overwhelmed by God's goodness because of how amazingly good he is as opposed to something that is impure. And so in that time, if you were to touch something that was dead or if you were to touch something that was impure, if you were to touch a dead body, if you were to touch somebody that was sick, you yourself, depending on what it is, you might contract that disease, but you yourself would become impure in being able to approach God. And so what they would have to do was go through having the sacrifices, as they talked about in, Levit- in Leviticus. They would have to go through the ritual purification processes in order to then become clean, to then be able to approach this God and then return into relationship with him. But that's where Jesus comes into the picture a little ways later. Jesus comes in as the embodiment of God's holiness. And so Jesus takes God's holiness, the character of God that is holy, and flips it on its head. But he does so in such a way that he doesn't uh, remove or change God's character. Because if you change God's character, I would argue that everything is on the table for being changed. Instead of changing God's character, he comes in as the embodiment of God's character and begins touching things. He begins touching people. And instead of that impurity passing to him, Jesus' embodiment of the holiness 
passes on his pureness to other people. It obliterates the impurities that we have as humans, the things that we struggle with, the sin maybe that we have. And so when God looks at us, once we have a relationship with Jesus, when we are communing with him and we understand that we have a need and that Jesus meets that need, that Jesus is our Lord, God looks at us and he sees holiness. He sees righteousness, he sees justice, but what he sees when he looks at us is his own holiness because Jesus is reflected through touching us in our relationships. So we're gonna turn to Exodus 3. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. Um, But we're gonna be looking at Exodus chapter 3. And that's where Moses encounters the burning bush. And if you haven't heard the story, it goes that, that Moses, having left Egypt for varying reasons, is out in the wilderness and he's up in the mountains and he encounters this bush that is burning, but it's not burning up. So he's like, I'm gonna go check that out. That's cool, what in the world is going on there? And so as he approaches, God calls out to him and says, don't come any closer. Go ahead and remove your sandals, remove your shoes, because what you're standing on is holy ground. And so after an exchange, Moses understands that God is telling him that I have chosen you to go back to Egypt to free my people. And Moses eventually agrees uh, after some deliberation, but then he uh, responds with one final question. He says, okay, I go tell them these things, but who do I say has sent me? And God says, tell them that eh, yeah, has sent you. I am who I am, I will be who I will be. Well, that doesn't quite make sense when you're telling somebody who their name is or who is sending you. So God then follows up by saying, tell them that my name is Yahweh which is I am or, or he will be. So he is, he has been, he will be. God is pronouncing himself as ongoing, never beginning and never ending. And so if you were to look at this in the English translation today, we understand this word to be Yahweh. Maybe you've heard that before. Um, but Yahweh, when translated fully into English, is Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And as you look through the Old Testament, you'll see that that name keeps popping up throughout scripture. He is referred to by the name that he gave himself. You could argue a holy name. And so to continue to recognize the holiness of God, that this is the same God that these Israelites had with their ancestors. When Moses goes back to tell them, they would understand that the name they're being given is a flashback. It's a name that catches their attention because they know that this is the God of their parents. This is the God that chose their ancestors to be with. And once they went their own way, there was a separation for a period of time. And so we see this name of Yahweh, which is again the name God gave to himself. But as you look at scripture, and as you look at what the scholars started to do, they started to talk about Jesus, they started to talk about God and say, to protect and to honor God's holiness in his name, whenever we read Yahweh in the scriptures, we're going to say the word Adonai. Which if you look at that in the spelling that looks nothing like Yahweh, why would you even say it that way? But the meaning behind it is that Adonai in their language at the time meant Lord, but it meant capital L, lowercase O-R-D. So it was like Lord of a plot of land or Lord in a work environment as a master, if you will. But again, the idea there was to protect the holiness that was God's name. 
So let's jump back into where in the video, they were talking about this creature that appeared and had wings. It looked really weird. It was flying and it was protecting its face. And as I looked into that, I was trying to find out what that creature was. Is that even supposed to be a real thing? Is that something that is supposed to have existed in the world? But what I found was, as I looked at Isaiah chapter 6, they're called seraphim. And we're just going to read it here to describe what these creatures are. So this is Isaiah speaking, and he's having a vision. He says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. So we don't really actually know what they are or where they come from, but we know that they exist. And so just keep that in mind. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Let's pause here for a minute. Why in the world would Isaiah, who is encountering who he believes to be his Lord, be in fear? Why is he reacting in such a way as like, I'm going to die. My life is ruined. But think about back to the idea that God is so holy and so good that to enter into his presence is dangerous. And he understood this idea and so to find that he is in the throne room with God, he recognizes that he is not where he should be. He recognizes that as an impure being, he shouldn't even be able to be in that room, not to mention look at God. And so he recognizes God's holiness. We'll pick up again. Then the one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Does that sound familiar with this person named Jesus? This is a foreshadowing of the way that God is going to take the character that he has, flip it on its own head, and it still reflects God 100%. And yet now we have this person who has come on the scene in the name of Jesus. And when he touches you, you become pure. Your sin is obliterated. You are made holy when God looks at you. And then verse 8 there says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And the reason I wanted to emphasize this bit here is that as we are spending time in that relationship that we have with Jesus, as we spend time in that relationship, as we go through our lives, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in the school, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the streets, in our car, wherever it is, as we are developing that relationship, we should be getting to a point where we're saying, God, I think you want me to do this. God, I want to respond. I want to do something. I should be the one to do something. I shouldn't just sit back and watch and wait and wait for that leader or that person that I see that I think should be handling that. I can step in, and that doesn't mean I have the answers, but I'm going to figure it out. God, lead me in this. Here am I. Send me. 
And then I've got this chart that I have found very helpful for me as I contemplate this idea of holiness, as I contemplate this idea of developing a deeper relationship with a Lord and Savior that I want to deepen. And as we're spending time in that relationship, we should be experiencing a growing awareness of our sin. We should be growing in our awareness of the depravity that we live in, the difficulty that we have to understand this God as we spend two and a half hours spread over four or five weeks trying to capture just a little bit of who God is. So as we grow in our understanding of our flesh and sinfulness, and then as we're growing in our understanding and awareness of God's holiness, as we continue to see our depth of need, we continue to see the way that God meets that need, and the way that as we continue to spread apart in our understandings of those things, Jesus continues to be the one to fill that gap, that God's holiness is seen in us because Jesus is the one that God sees when he looks at us. When God looks at me, he sees a purity that is of him. When God looks at you, he sees a purity that is of him. This past week, I had the opportunity and privilege uh, to conduct my first funeral. And... um, It ended up being for my great aunt. She had asked for myself and then another family member to conduct the service. And so that was a new experience for me. That was a new adventure to lead a family through a service like that. But as one of the things we did during the service, she grew up attending a a friend's church, and so she had a desire that part of the service would be a sharing in the manner of friends, which is what we do Uh, when we sit down to sit quietly and maybe someone speaks out of the silence. But it wasn't quite so silent this past Thursday. There were a lot of stories shared. There was a lot of nuggets of wisdom the way that my great aunt lived her life embodied the fruits of the Spirit. And as I was sitting there listening to these things, I I knew that I was having something stirring in me and I was like, I don't want to share. Even though I've been up front giving sermons, I don't want to share. Um, and God, Jessica tells me many times I get that feeling, I know I'm supposed to. Um, but as I, so I went ahead and I stood up to share, and it was almost like an out-of-body experience as I was standing. I'm like, oh, I'm doing this, okay. Um, but as I stood up to share, what I, what I really appreciated about my great aunt, and I really didn't know her super well, but what I appreciated about her was the way that she lived her life. She lived it with hope. She lived her life with a hope that was founded in a foundation and a faith in Jesus, but the way that she lived was continuously hopeful. She experienced health issues for the last 10 years of her life, but she was still hopeful. And as she spent time in that relationship with Jesus, she was hopeful. She was understanding that she had a need, that she had a Savior who had lived a perfect life and who had died on the cross, had risen again, and that she was then given an opportunity to spend time with, to relate to, to respond to, so that she could then love on other people. She was a nurse for many, many years. She then taught nursing for many, many years in Virginia and Florida, and she was an embodiment of hope and love that we can look to. And so as we end here today, I just encourage you to consider as we walk out of this room, as we even stand up to greet the person next to us, and then maybe we get together again next week, maybe you get together for coffee tomorrow morning, whatever it is, may we go from here with hope that we have a Savior who continues, as that chart showed, to fill that gap as we continue in that relationship to understand the separation and the need that we have and that God meets that need with his holiness, which is in distinction to the way it used to operate. Let's pray. God, may we go from here with hope. 
May we go from here understanding that you are the one that meets our needs, that you are the one that stands in that gap, that you have a holiness that we cannot measure up to, and that we can understand that you have used your own character without compromising yourself to fill that need so that we can be made pure, so we can be in relationship, we can be in your presence 24-7. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship together through song, through music, through speaking, through listening, through sharing. And as we go from here, we go to our lunches, we go to our homes. May we have conversation about the way that you have spoken to us this week. What are the ways that you have spoken into our lives? What are the ways that we can speak into somebody else's life? How can we be listening for opportunity to say, here am I, send me. God, we hope in you. We hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're so glad you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.